What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey you. Have you checked out my book In Defense of Sky yet? It was one of Rolling Stone's top recommended picks in June of 2021. Esquire magazine called it an excellent read. And GQ said that it was an intelligent look at the much maligned genre and its various waves. So what are you waiting for? Get yourself a copy of In Defense of Ska right now at clashbooks.com. Ska bands had no chance of making it in the 2000s. Wait, there is one band that proves this theory false, and that is Boston's Big D and the Kids' Table, who formed in the mid-90s and released their debut album No Luck in 1999, just as the mainstream lost its taste for the genre. While Big D didn't score a hit single at the same level as the Boston's circa 1997, Their 2006 album, Strictly Rude, did crack the Billboard charts, a remarkable accomplishment considering that people were desperately hiding their ska roots at the time. Big D have had a prolific career, and they're back with a brand new album called Do Your Art. Lead singer Dave McWayne joins us to talk about the band's long and interesting career. So I had never thought of this until this exact moment right now. And I should have asked this of Dave, but is Big D, is that Dave? So what I've read is that it's just like a name somebody came up with and just suggested it. And then that was it. I wonder if anybody calls Dave Big D though. If somebody doesn't call him Big D, like what's wrong with their lives? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody should call him Big D. I'm going to call him Dave Big D next time I see him and I'm going to get a bad look from him. He's clearly Big D. (laughs) Everybody called Dave (laughs) Big D from now on. 
And does that make the rest of the band the kids' table, like the backing band? No, the kids' table is just like the stage that they're on. Oh, okay. They are just the children at the kids' table. Oh, okay, yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, see? We're getting deep here. I want to ask you first about um, this cover you did in, I think it was 2004. It was the specials, Little Bitch. I feel like this has come up multiple times. People have brought up Big D in different contexts and view that cover quite favorably, which is... Seemed, it seemed like a pretty bold move to make to begin with, to go for a specials cover. Definitely. I want to ask about the video, but first tell me about the decision to go for the specials in mid-2000s. Okay, so so basically there's this bar in Cambridge uh, called Charlie's Kitchen. Yeah. And a lot of us go on the second floor up there. And um, it has a jukebox. And every every single time I'd go with my friends, I'd put a lot of money. You know, just I'd try to play it like five times. Because it's hard to get your song to come on. And if you're there for a while, what I found, I kept leaving and my song would come on, right? So it kind of turned into like me versus the jukebox. Like I, I just wanted to hear the song at least once each time I go to this bar. So I'd sink the money in and sit down. But then some nights, you know, if people didn't go to the jukebox much, it might it would play like five times. You know what I mean? Um, so then it would play a lot. And my buddy John Hills finally turns to me and goes, dude, uh, why do why you do this every time? Why don't you just cover the song in Big D and just be done with it? And I went, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that. That's a great idea. <laughs> so it was just like a song that like, you know, I just would always try and play. Um, you know, you know, and this is before, you know, um, cell phones and like, like having every song all the time with you. So it was a place, like I didn't have the song. I didn't have the record, you know? Um, and so I would just always try to play it when I was around around it, you know. Um, and so we covered it. And I think my excitement, like, when we covered Operation Ivy's Energy, we totally knew that we were, like, stepping on sacred ground. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's almost like, don't do it. We're like, we know, but we're going to do it because we love it. Um, but with the specials, I think I was so excited. And, and, and I didn't even think, like, maybe it would be a bad idea. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just, just excitement. Uh, but you're right. Sometimes covering um, the holy songs can get you uh, in a lot of trouble. But also covering something like The Rudiments, you end up shining a light on a band that maybe people haven't heard of. And that was the point of that. Like sometimes when Big D writes, like with the, with the new record and some things, I see bands that I love, like the Dead Milkmen and things like even the Violent Femmes, you know, just less around. Like if you went up to your average, you know, 14 or 15 or 16 year old, 17 year old, they might not know those bands, which is crazy. Um, so I, I kind of started smelling in the air that the rudiments just weren't weren't around anymore. And the song is just so good that I felt like it was just a way of continuing their art and, and letting people know that this band is here, did write the, you know what I mean? Just I wanted to keep them up, you know what I mean? And then play it all the time because it's fun. Yeah, it's a great song. Oh, it's such a good song. Yeah. Am I to assume correctly then that um, that Little Bitch is your favorite special song? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's just so good. It's so good. And and it's still ours is so much faster that like it it even though it is a, a well-received cover, which is really nice, um, their pocket is still theirs. You know, that that pocket that they own, you know, we don't we don't do that pocket, you know, so I still enjoy very much so their their version and i finally got it on 
final. You know, you still request it five times at the at the local bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Like next time I go to Charlie's, I'll I'll do it again. <laughs> so so where did you film the video? Did you film the video there? It was such an interesting time because you you brought up like the actual date, like two thousand four or something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like as I think you're you know, maybe alluding to like ska is just not popular. You know what I mean? Like it's it's you know, Big D spent a lot of our time in the in the, the doldrums of the ska scene. Um, which we, we like. Um, and so we're about to start a tour and I'm in California and I just, uh, I was just visiting a buddy and so I'm heading to tour and, and, and I'm telling him, I, I got this idea for this little bitch video. Cause I'm still going on about it. Cause he used to go to the bar with me. So it was relevant. And, um, and I was like, I'm thinking about doing this one shot take, uh, video. Um, and he's a big Quentin Tarantino fan. And I'm a big Quentin Tarantino fan. And that's why I'm telling him because, you know, he, he likes film and, and we talk about film a lot. And so I described it to him and he says, sounds great. And so then I go and I go on the tour and it's in Michigan with uh, Suburban Legends and, um, of course, Mustard Plug. And it's the end of the first show, which is funny if you, if you ever go on tour for someone on the tour to go, all right, I got this great idea. We'll get about 40 beers. And <laughs> it's at the end of the gig too. So describing people, okay. Describing people, what was in store for the little bitch video was a lot like describing to the band big D when I presented the idea for LAX, like you're explaining something that they're like, what are you talking about? You know? And so I'm saying to the promoter, yeah, we just need about like, like 20 beers on this side of the camera and 20 beers on this side of the camera. These guys are going to hand the beers. We're just going to do a one take. And, uh, and so everyone's just like, everyone's game. You know, it's, it's kind of late at night and it's kind of hilarious and no one, but no one really knows what's going to happen. And we just did one take and that was it. And it was, it's just better than perfect. If that's, uh, that's possible. Let's review who's in the video. I know, uh, Dan Ponhast is clearly in the video. Um, I think I see a few suburban legends. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ryan Eldred from Catch Twenty Two. Yeah, I th I think okay. Anybody else? Oh, well, it's it's ba it's yeah, it's Mustard Plug and Suburban Legends. Uh, Brian Clem, Vince from Suburban Legends, and then when the the guitar solo comes in, like all the band members jump in. Is it only band members, or are there just randos in there too? There there could have been like a tour manager, but from my memory, <laughs> it's band members. Yeah. So you already said it's, it's a real, it was real beer, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any, any idea how many beers you drank during that shoot? Well, this is before, uh, I realized people would later see the video and comment negatively on <laughs> my, my beer checking skills. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just kind of like doing it, you know, just, Hey, this is funny. Um, and I, you know, I've never been, you know, I mean, I watched Revenge of the Nerds a lot, but I was, you know, I've never, you know, chugged beers like people in those videos, movies, but um like so once people started commenting like you're not very good at that are you i i started to kick it into gear so i think in that one i only do like two or three you know what i mean i, I try to i try to make people proud and my you know myself proud and after after people were you know commenting on my beer drinking <laughs> but there was about 40 to go around for everybody well, I, yeah like it's hard to know how many um I would say at least 15 on both sides, but you know, I, I think it would be more. So a lot of beer gets drank. You also have to lip sync throughout the whole video though, too. So you, it's not like you can be pounding beers while there's vocals. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, 
even at my best, I'm not that great at it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but Ryan, Ryan from, yeah, Catch Twenty Two. You're right. Um, oh yeah, um, he is on the left, and he does an outstanding job. Excellent, excellent beer drinker. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say the name of the 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 venue or the place that it was at? Do you recall? It's you know I want to say like the Bluebird Theater but I think that's in like a different place. I, I used to know, but it's just been such a long time. It used to be like a place we'd go often, but I just kind of forget. Yeah. Bluebirds in Denver, Denver. Yeah. So, I mean, most, most of the big D guys know, like if you were like December 3rd, uh, 1998, they'd be like, we were in this place, this place, this place. <laughs> <They know perfectly. laughs> but like so many clubs are called like the furnace, you know what I mean? That yeah. like after a while, I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> the underground. Yeah, the underground. <laughs> the underground always ends up being um, a Christian youth center. Yeah. <laughs> so the the new album will be released um, by the time this podcast is released, uh, is October 22nd. And uh, the very first single you put out is Too Much, right? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about this song. This was your first uh, statement in a while to the people. Part of the song sounds like you're talking about... Um, that you're a little much to handle. And then part of it is like claiming that, uh, you know, Scott is a lifestyle. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks. Like those are, seem like two messages in the song. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, it, the song is creative, um, inspirationally by maybe three or four different avenues. Like, so definitely the, the, I am too much for people. Um, you know, I've just, Throughout my life, I've always kind of found some of the most uncreative people or, or most unadventurous people try to hold back the most creative people and the most adventurous people I know. You know what I mean? Just like, don't. No, you're, you're wrong. You're, don't do it, you know? And, and so it, it has something to do with that, you know, just, just people who are a little too scared to put their arms out and run into a field. You know, they're, if they'd be like, oh, but what if I trip? But what if there's bugs? But what if, but what if, but what if? You know what I mean? So it, it is commenting on people, tr people negatively trying to hold back people who want to move, move forward. Um, but then it also has to do with, you know, Big D has always been too much for the genre. You know, like, you know, traditional ska people can be, as, traditional, the traditional ska scene can sometimes be as um judgmental as the jazz scene the jazz scene can be pretty judgmental like you are not good and you need to go away you know what i mean and so we were always too punk for the traditional people um and and so we were always too much for them so it's just like this you know big d's been going on for over over 20 years so it's a huge part of my lifestyle to have people be like no too much you know what i mean you are a band that does play like really fast punky you know music but you also do play traditional ska well and that is a part of your repertoire too and like a lot of the ska core bands don't necessarily have a good handle on traditional ska too so i can see how maybe you might be a band that some traditionalists like and some don't like because of that yeah two punk two two ska for the punks and two punk for the skas it's 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 always been you know it's just it's always been our kind of our rep our rep um and then, but then it keeps going because, like, I've been watching a ton of uh, stand-up comedy. I like, I, I think stand-up comedians are the new punk rockers, uh, the new punk rock scene um, currently. 
uh, more so than the genre of music. And so they're going on about like, what's too much to say? You know, where's the line a lot of them are doing of where's the line of where a joke can go, like freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And so a lot of them are talking about too much because I look up to a lot of these comedians, like I look up to bands because of old bands I like because of their bravery. Um, I just really respected, like the punk scene, them pushing it and them trying to find the line and try to or or, or discover is there a line, um, and so it has a lot to do with with them and and I really do applaud them for um, you know being brave. You know, a Big D has spent so much time getting on stage, going, "Wait, did they get a load of this? They're gonna hate it." You know what I mean? Like it's the old it's the old heavy metal mantra of not wanting to go on stage to entertain people but wanting to go on stage to just like prove you and your guys you you and your team are fucking badass you know what i mean like you know i think there's a difference some people make sugar and some people make hot sauce you know everybody likes sugar so everyone will devour it but some people like hot sauce and at first people don't like hot sauce and it takes a couple times for them to get used to it but then they eventually love it and i always think big d's like hot sauce and so yeah, it's it's just kind of like getting up there and showing what your soul sounds like through music, you know. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the formation of Big D. The band started in '95, correct? Uh, I think it's like '96. Okay, '96. Yeah. Um, so Scott's going strong. You guys form a couple things. Um, first off. You guys go. Uh, you guys go for a ten-piece band with uh, what six, five or six horns? I think yeah, five. Yeah, I think. You okay, might be right. you might be right. Um, let's talk about that. Well, the reason all those people are in the band is because that was a hundred percent of our friends, our crew. You know what I mean? Um, and I originally was on drums. I, I, the three of us, Mark, Steve, and I, we started the band. Mark on guitar. Steve on bass and me on drums and we were just playing um Operation Ivy covers that was the that was just what we wanted to do together and um you know my friends and I we we were limited on um like girls who would think to talk to us and we were too young to buy beer so you know the only thing we had was music and so eventually each person was like where are you guys going you guys going to go do that practicing again and we were like yeah and they're like well can we come and we're like of course and so we didn't have a vocalist for a really long time. Most of Shot by Lammy was written. And eventually Mark just said, dude, Max, Max, we'll have Max play drums because he has nothing to do when we all hang out and you just sing. And I'm like, well, I have, I don't have any singing hope. Like I, I wasn't interested in singing at all. It'd be like if someone randomly said like, we want you to be a shark diver. And you're like, shark diving? Why, why would I do that? And so, uh, so I did it. And um, he said that he and the guys said, we just think you'd be good at it. So I thought that was nice of him. And, you know, I, I went home and wrote some lyrics to Shot by Lammy that didn't have lyrics yet. And that was really, 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 really nervous and just did it. They liked it. When do you feel like the band really kind of got going? Like, you know, to where you were had a repertoire of songs. You had a pretty good live set. You were gigging regularly. Jeez, uh, you know. I would say like after our, like when I felt like we were a well-oiled machine, is that what you mean? 
Uh, no, more, more not necessarily. Like, not the question isn't so much when do you feel like you were your best. More do you when do you feel like the band got serious? Um, that in that in the sense that you were, you know, it was beyond just being friends hanging out. That you had songs that you were gigging that you were trying to make something out of it. I think I don't think we ever really ever really want to try to make anything out of it. No. <laughs> okay. Well, you did release an album. You did release your debut album, uh, Good Luck on Asian Man. So what what was the status of the band going into that release? Were you obviously that must have been a big deal? Uh okay. So the, the mindset of Big D is is let me I'll go back to the Asian Man thing, but the general mindset of Big D is is not to become a huge a huge band. Um that in no way you know, I don't go to those huge stadium shows. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, unless it's Iron Maiden. Um, I, I, I just really like rehearsals. I, we really like, the band's always really like music and, the, and making music, writing music, recording music, listening to music, talking about music. Um, but being like a big band with guitar techs and, and th- that isn't really, that's not what, big d considers you know i i like shows that are like 50 people 150 people 300 500 a thousand starting to get to be a little too much um once it gets to 15 once it becomes entertaining i don't want to entertain anyone um if you want to watch us play that's cool you're invited to but you know i don't want to tell the crowd to do things and (laughs) (laughs) you don't want to tell them to put their hands up and and wave no Yeah, I just always thought that was goofy when I was little. You know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong, though. Like, sick of it all. Be like, I want you guys to fuck it up. And I'm like, that is so awesome. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but, you know, say, whoa. Like, I don't know. It's just, I'm not against it. But, you know, I, don't, I just personally don't want to do it. Um, so, you know, when we were very proud that Asian Men Records would consider us. Because Mike is like an Ian Mackay. You know, like, he, McKay Mackay, whoever. It, like whoever whoever you are and whatever way you say it um like you know he's one of those guys so it was very organic <laughs> i've never used that word in music uh organic thing to do and it was really nice of him to to say he likes our music so we felt part of a team you know we felt like part of like a group of guy like we got to put asian man records on the back of our t-shirts so that was really cool, but still, there there was no sort of like powwow, like we got to do these things to make it big. It was more like, guys, you want to go to England? That's gonna be so fun for us to do together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I, I don't. I we 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 get serious. Like you can't be wasted on stage, and you know you can't, you know, like let's try. You know, we're good at running big d you know we're good at going on tour we're good at you know we're serious about doing a good job but getting bigger and being a big band we like being in the middle you know to a big band we're we're small but to a small band we're big we're like the anthrax of sky (laughs) i want to take i want i want to step back just a second you like rehearsals love rehearsals i like rehearsals more than shows wow Oh man! Well, I mean, rehearsals the best. You're playing music with your buddies. I mean, oh, that's that's the greatest. Um, <laughs> like, but like, like going on stage and stuff. I don't, I don't know. It's it's cool. It, like, I like that people love it, and and 
But when I'm on stage, I'm just trying to pretend it's the rehearsal room. You okay. Know what I mean? I'm trying to just be like, there's people here, but you know, they're just they're just watching. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I'm not an enter- I don't want to be an entertainer. So I'd heard a story that you guys were big Skank and Pickle fans. True or false? Uh, Mark Flynn was a huge Skank and Pickle fan. Okay. But I'd heard that you guys drove all the way out to the West Coast to play a single show so that Mike Park could see you guys play. That does sound like something we would do. Uh, <laughs> because, because you, have, you, know, you have to understand, like, we would be like, wouldn't it be fun to, to travel together? You know what I mean? Um, so that does sound bold, and I'm going to check. I'll check. I'll, Mark's in China right now. That's where he lives now. What? Um, yeah, and so I'll ask him. Yeah. It does, something about that sounds familiar. That was the story I remember about around Mike putting out your record. It also sounds like we would instinctually want to book some shows. <laughs> right right and that was my thing too with the story also it was always like wait they just drove all the way out and then all the way back no shows on the way I, yeah i think it was that we drove all the way out played that show and played some and played some shows on the way back okay that makes a little bit more sense i'll check on that though but but i want to go back if you don't mind to like like live shows like <laughs> you, know, you know i do like it it's just that um I get nervous. Do you know what I mean? Like as a drummer, you get your instrument and you're back there. And, you know, that's where I come from being a drummer. You know what I mean? And, and so you get to hang out with your drum set and you, and just, just hammer it. You know what I mean? And it's wonderful. But walking up in front of all those people and, and when Big D played most of our shows, it's when people didn't like ska. So, you know, take it from like 19 whatever like let's say he died in 99 or 2000 you know for almost 10 years of playing when we would get up on stage you know people would be like oh jesus a ska band do you know what i mean so so you know a lot of my like molding has to do with where do they get a load of this you know like that old 16 17 year old mentality of like i'm gonna blow your ears off you know, I mean, I can definitely see that being, you know, the front person in the band, you, you draw all the attention to you on, on stage. And if you have an instrument, you can kind of, you can, if the show's not going how you plan, you can really just bear down and focus on the instrument. If you're just up there with the microphone, everybody's looking at you. And so right. any, anything that you want to do up there is like under a microscope a little bit. Yeah. That's why I kind of just go in my own world and I, I'm really just in in the song I'm in and while i'm in the song like i i think i think about when we wrote the song i think about all the excitement about the song and i i'm just really <laughs> sounds kind of hippie-ish but like you know i'm just in the music and sometimes i look at the crowd if the crowd is act you know if the crowd is yeah i don't know if, if i'm connect like i can i can i connect with the crowd don't get me wrong i mean of course of course of course of course but the crowd doesn't come first you know what I mean? Mm. When you released Good Luck, that was sort of the period of time where you were really starting to see ska going out of favor. So right when you guys are basically debuting yourself to the world, that's when it's happening. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, you guys had um, kind of got to the point where, you know, you'd gotten a deal with Asian Man, you were, and uh, now ska is kind of becoming a dirty word right at the same time. 
I describe it as someone told you to go to a party and right when you got there, the cops came and everybody left. And now you're in the house. Now you're in the party house and, and it's empty. You know what I mean? <laughs> like everyone's like, Friday night, we're going wow. to the party, get there. And we're like, can't believe we're going to the party. And they're like, cops are here. And we're like, what the? where'd everybody go? This is supposed to be a fun, where'd everybody go? <laughs> yeah. That's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's exactly what it was. And it, and it was a lot of confusion. Like scratching your head going like, what, what happened? But, you know, for, for the next decade, you did well, though, for a period of time where ska was the butt of a joke, where people were trying to flee from the scene, pretend that they never played in a ska band, like Big D did well. Now that like the party's back on, it, looking back, it is quite incredible. You're right. The whole time we're playing the number one least favored style of music and having a blast in, in getting people to want to listen to us and show up to shows globally, globally too, you know? Um, Cause we're in America, so we know the American scene, but I mean, in England with household name records and cap down and the foamers and Lightyear and um, five knuckle and Sonic boom six, like there's, there's a huge scene, you know what I mean? And so like yeah, yeah. That, that scene was still kicking it. And um, you know, so yeah, looking back, yeah, we did do such a good job during the driest period of, of yeah. like, like meaning like drowning in a lake, but keeping the flag up, you know what I mean? Like we, we waited in the water until people came and rescued us, you know what I mean? Or people cared to see us drowning, not drowning, but it's a, it's a shaking. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't falter. We didn't, we held the flag. We held the flag until it was cool again. Nice. And you're back. You're back now that yeah. the, other people are holding the flag too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to go back a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about household name records because I was also, you know, Link Eighty put out a split with yeah. with Cap Down, and I wanted to ask, what was your relationship with household name? Oh, uh, Lil and Catherine, um, the, the head people, uh, really, 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 really good. Just like you know, what they say like a family. You know, just, yeah. just good friends. It's just like what you used to read about in like with Discord and Outlook. I mean, Lookout. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's dyslexia right there. I look out. Um, and just being part of a, an underground music scene that um, is trying to do its best and doing a good job. Yeah. Of those household name bands, if you had to pick one that you think is like the, the least well-known that should get more attention who would you pick lightyear lightyear is yeah <laughs> and and chaz and i uh we started a band together with paul and ryan from big d called the alley oops and i am quite quite honored to even be considered in a band with chaz i mean he's he's out of this world talented and also out of his mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been on he, well, I need you to just tell your favorite light year story really quick. Once we were in Switzerland um, at, uh, it doesn't matter, but the, 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 this venue. And um, it's called like the Sierra, the Sierra or something like that. And um, Neil comes up, <laughs> Neil comes up to Chaz and Chaz whips out something and pees in a pint glass till it's, Till it's filled and then neil just takes it and just drinks it <laughs> and that's like that's like nothing compared to like all the other stuff you yeah just, it's like being on tour with six gg allen's nine gg allen's you know 
Very sweet G.G. Allen's. Oh, very sweet. Very sweet. I, one of my favorite Chaz moments is is he he, he put makeup on in a dress. Oh, Neil and they're always they're always wearing dresses um in you know makeup smeared and and I remember having like this really good uh, conversation about music and just looking at Chaz and Neil and just being like these guys are just great because <laughs> they're just <laughs> they looked like a girl at the end of a really sloppy date, like she drank too much and you know, every, she might've thrown up a million times. And, but you're looking at this person going like, you are so brilliant. You know, everything. I agree with everything. You're saying. <laughs> you know? Man, I, I miss that whole crowd of bands. They're so good. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I, well, you know what I miss? I miss, <laughs> this is going to sound brutal. I miss really interesting people. You know what I mean? Like, like, I think not to the fullest extent, but I think once technology took over, I think there's different players on the field, meaning like I think there were usually more artist artists, less like tech artists. You know what I mean? Like in the studio, when you'd be playing in uh, with, with tape, if there was tape, um, you know, often you'd hear like the guitar player say something like, shut up. I know. Just play it again. I know. I know how to do it. I'll count. I'll, shut up. Just play it again. I'll get it. And they get it. Now, when a take happens, you hear people go like, is that enough? Can you fix it? Can you put it together? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. so I think there was just like, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be one of those people that's like, it's different now. But I, I miss really artsy people. You know what I mean? Not people who are like in it for the business. You know, we can do this. All that, all those ska books. <laughs> ska <laughs> <laughs> All that buddy in ska. Yeah. Jig D became friends with Melt Banana in the 2000s. This seems like an unlikely alliance. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, going back in time to when I was like 16 or 17 years old, I'm going to a Melt Banana show in Boston. Uh, sorry, a Mr. Bungle show in Boston. And Melt Banana is opening up. Never seen him before. And I'm watching this band and I'm falling in love. I've never heard music like this. I knew metal. I knew hardcore, but I didn't know noisecore yet. I, I, I didn't know. And uh, Milk Banana stops playing, and Yako goes, "How come n- no one here uh, likes Milk Banana?" Right? <laughs> and, and my friends, they pick me up uh, and they they bring me to the front of the crowd and like pretty much throw me on on stage, and and I kind of ask for the microphone, and Yako gives me the microphone. And I go, I don't know. I think it's going great. I mean, from what I can tell, everyone loves you guys. I mean, my friends love you. I, I've never, I'm just, I'm just being really positive. You know what I mean? And then she's like, okay, thanks. And I'm like, okay. Later, I find out many years later, when I introduced myself, I, I mean, when I was hanging out with them, I was like, you know, that was me uh, at that Mr. Bunkle show. And, and, and Agata, the guitar player goes, oh my God, everybody, everybody come here. Do you know that Dave was the kid who Yako gave the mic to? And it was important because the band goes, we told her from that moment on, you are definitely not allowed to give the crowd the microphone. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so like we had met, we had met before in a weird way. And so now cut back to the Middle East, the whole band, we're all having lunch and I'm very nervous. And, and, uh, and I, I wrote deadpan face um, from Strictly Rude about Yako. I don't usually write songs about people. And um, 
and she was just cool and she just had this deadpan face all the time and like at one point i made her laugh and i was like i am awesome um and, and then <laughs> cut to we do a split together which totally annoyed the hell out of noise core fans because we're a stupid ska band um but then it gets worse we start playing shows with them and you know the noise core people are like why are you on the show and not my band? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's like, cause those are the better shows. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the boss zones playing with slap shot, you know, you don't want the same, the same band opening up, you know? Um, but not to be long winded, but this is a big point. So we're settling up at the end and I'm in the back where all the pans and dishes are with Yako. She's counting some money out and she goes, you have, a um a very cool voice and that was that was the end all be all of any sort of affirmation i've ever needed like you know it was the, quite a nice compliment that's what you get to put on your on your uh, tombstone uh, exactly oh oh can you tell us like uh, a particularly cold moment of playing with melt banana like the reception from their crowd no, no, I don't. I think it was okay. I think we had we had enough of our crew in there. I mean, opening up for the, the Dropkick Murphys in Germany is worse than that. Oh, tell us about that. Well, I definitely will. But may I tell you that um, while we were sitting here, I got a text from a, a friend called Sean, and um, on the new record, I don't know if you know, but we have a a song with Mel Banana. We we did a song together. What song is that? It's called You Buggin'. Oh, okay. That's why that song's so weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to that. I was like, why is this song so weird? It's so good. That makes a ton of sense. And we just finished shooting a video, a dual video, and he was setting me a, a cut of it. So we, we freaking have a, a dual song and a music video with Mel Banana. I mean, wow. I don't deserve this shit. I mean, this is like, you know, I mean, you know, some people are like, you know, Dave Grohl meets Paul McCartney and he's like, this guy's like my hero. Well, Yako's my hero and it's all happening for me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Dropkick Murphys. So playing with the Dropkicks is like this. Let's say you're going to a Major League Baseball game, right? But a minor league game is going to play first, right? Nobody wants to watch the minor league game. They just want to watch the Major League game. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean at all? Like, so. Nobody really wants opening bands for the drop picks. Um, or back in the day, they didn't. Maybe things are different now. But back in the day, we were we were on oh, who's that band? We were we were on tour with um, I forget what their, their name, but we it, some parts of Germany, you know, like they just they don't want you to play. They want you to be done. Um, and I remember that whole tour being like really on edge, you know, because you had to prove yourself. Like you said, you're in that ska band, so like. I think I broke the drum monitor the first show of the tour and had to apologize to like everybody. And, you know, I was on edge. I was just very like, give me a reason. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I always knew that I had to keep my eyes open or get beer thrown at me or, you know, you had to be careful. I mean, people love the show, it, it, but certain people would be aggressive enough to physically go at you. And so, I remember closing my eyes once the whole tour in this song Find Out and getting like a full big can of Heineken smashed in my face. And I just remember wow. thinking to myself, I just remember thinking to myself, well, it's your fault, Dave. 
you knew the rule you gave yourself. Keep your eyes open. And what did you do? You closed your eyes. <laughs> but, but that's, but you know, that's kind of like how my development, right or wrong, has has come. You know, I like opening up. I, I like opening shows. I I don't like headlining shows. Like, I have a little, I have a little harder experience when the crowd loves you than I do if the crowd doesn't like you. You know what I mean? Um, so. So, yeah, I mean, spending a lot of time going on tours like the Dropkicks and in the time when you're forever the nerd, you know, you know, because, you know, I was, you know, kind of I was an outcast when I was little and then, well, you know, younger, if you will. And then you go on tour and you, you that same label is on you. You know what I mean? You're, you're still the outcast. You're, you're still you're still the dork, you know. Um, so I've never come to 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 fully trust you know, um, the crowd, not, not the crowd, but I'm just so used to being me. So you, you did the, I think you did the very first Sky's Dead tour, right? I'm not sure if it was, the, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So with Mustard Plug, Catch-22, Planet Smashers. What a lineup. I believe this was 2004 as well. Um, this is kind of gets back to the dichotomy of what the state of Sky was in the 2000s. On one, on one hand, it's the least coolest music that you could possibly be affiliated with. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, there is still a fan base for it, and to the to the constant shock of people outside of the scene, and um, I feel like Scott's Dead was the ultimate statement and example of that. I know that was Dave Musterplug; that was sort of his um, point behind the ironic title, and yeah. and to then take you know like a handful of bands and to put put all you guys together and put it in bigger rooms and kind of like blow minds. And be like, hey, look over here. We got, we got people coming out for ska shows. So tell me a little bit about what that experience was like for you. I mean, like Mustard Plug, uh, and you know, th- they got to experience the '90s ska scene, and then so for them, I, I imagine it was a little different. But what was it like for you guys? Because we didn't even know what they knew. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's tours like this. Perfect example, by the way. Um, and I'll add Bigwig and Belvedere, um, and I'll add the tour that we did with um, the Lawrence Arms and ME330. So this is the start of Big D making friends. Do you know what I mean? Like we're making friends, like like strong friendships um, with with other bands like us. Um, it's not just kind of like, you, you know, some shows, you know, you're going, people in bands know like, you're making those forever friendships, you know? Um, yeah. So it was, it was probably, the loveliest times of my life you know what i mean just you know being on tours we're (laughs) we're ska bands so there's about 50 of us and we all are friends you know what i mean i mean not probably really 50 but you know what i'm saying um and so yeah we just 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 really realizing the the love and the friendship and the similarities and every everyone's really close and, and genuine very genuine um, it couldn't be beat, you know. Those are those are the best, and those friendships, those friendships, like with Mustard Plug and um, the Planet Smashers, Pie Tasters, Bigwig. I mean, you know, even like with Belvedere, which I haven't seen in forever. Scott, I see on social networks, like it's it's it'll be a life friendship. You know, it's not just like going on tour with someone and going high five, we kick ass. You know, it's it's really nice. And and you know, I'm not trying to like put down myself or anything but when you are part of being an outcast for so long those things are 
those things are really helpful. You, you were kind of the big D was like kind of the, well, the way I perceive it is that you were kind of the band that was like, here's the next generation, so to speak. And I mean, you were, you were more up and coming at that point, uh, but you had a lot of energy and you were making move, momentum. Whereas they had more uh, notoriety from the nineties. What was the energy of the crowd? Like, uh, I don't know if you can think back to those shows. I feel, I feel your question. Um, the, the, it was like that. It, it was like, we did feel new. What I love about that whole crew of bands is that, you know, that's the old chapter. And no matter what happens with the new wave of ska, we're still always the youngest <laughs> of that chapter. You know what I mean? uh-huh. or, even if, even how, even how, well, much older we get, we're still the youngest. <laughs> so it's so fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, they were, they were all older than us. And we did have, like you said, just like the, let's go for it. I was, I was curious what the um, energy of the audience was like from your point of view. I mean, cause now you have, you have like probably larger rooms uh, with fanatical ska fans because the people coming to these shows are diehards and they're in on the joke that uh ha 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 ska's dead not really well I, uh, the voodoo glow skulls big big part of big d's life um you know, they said eddie said something to me once that really confused me he goes you guys are going to be the next big thing i know this um but he meant like like big he meant like you know big, big time and he goes and i'm like what are you talking about because you know my my background with music you know, it's like heavy metal and hardcore and ska. And the, uh, other than heavy metal is obviously heavy metal. But like when I was young, it was looked down. It was looked, looked down upon like only drug addicts, you know, like like heavy metal. It wasn't like played at baseball games and, you know, so popular now. So what I'm getting at is like, he's like, you're going to be the next big thing. And I'm like thinking in my head, like, God, I'm trying to put everything out there to not do that. Why? I wonder what Eddie's talking about, but I outrageously respect him i love his guitar playing so much and 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 so he's like no man it's gonna happen and i know these things and it was it was stuff like that that started making me get nervous you know what i mean like which ties into i'll, I'll tell talk say about the crowd in a second but which starts to go into strictly rude and it's just like well what's go why why are we why are we getting popular if we're writing songs like five kids down and those kids suck and you know we're trying to write songs to be like you know, not on this path. You know what I mean? Um, so it was just so weird. I remember. I just remember Eddie saying that during these times and just being like, "Oh, how, how odd." But the crowd. Um, I think during that time, you know, we were too punk for the ska kids and too ska for the punk kids. But we had our nucleus of hardcore uh, listeners, and so we had that like really good, solid crew. But we didn't. We didn't necessarily because we were so new. We were breaking all the old rules, so none of, none of the old dudes could really go. Well, yeah, you know what I mean. They they wanted like music like the Alstonians. The Alstonians are from Boston and Austin. They wanted like you know traditional or the Pie Tasters or the Slackers or if it was going to be um, punk ska, it would be nice if it was like Time Bomb. You know, you know what I mean. But when you're playing, those kids suck. In you're me now. In these songs, you know, you're not going to sell um your music to the 100 percent of the audience so i I still think it was rickety let's transition then into strictly rude because this was a this was a moment for you guys um 
first let's talk about the the creation of the album you had a uh, mm-hmm. joe gittleman from boston's produced well, so what was that experience like and, and how did that all kind of get set up so um kevin lyman of van's warp tour um told side okay so big d's never really been helped helped you know like connections like like that was easy <laughs> that was easy to do that we, we we've never but mike park um kevin lyman Jay from the Suicide Machines did something really nice once, and Joe Goodobin, they, they've been nice to us. Um, and Kevin Lyman told Side One Dummy, if you don't sign this band, you're crazy, because I've never met a more hardworking band. Like, if you've ever been a Warp Tour, they, they do this thing where they plaster posters all over the fences. I'm confident with saying that Big D was the first band to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and then slowly, bands were hiring, like, street teams to do it for them. Um, and, but we we were the first person to like shepherd ferry the hell out of out of things and um and so yeah so suddenly we're about to get on side one dummy and a producer is going to a producer is coming in so i i was just like that classic i don't know little wild cat that was like okay we're going to have a producer but like you know i don't want things to you know I, you know i don't want to sell sell out you know what I mean? <laughs> um you know so so i was a little like nervous at first but that joe was just so good you know he picked me he'd drive and pick me up it was out of his way pick me up for the studio i didn't have a car and and drive me there and and he made he made me realize like come on man don't i'm not it's not gonna be like that I, i'm not smoking a cigar going you're gonna have the, you know it's not one of those classic things um and so yeah, we Strictly Rude was just outstanding. It was, I mean, it's after How It Goes in Beijing to Boston. So, like, How It Goes in Beijing to Boston were just so much fun. Um, and now we're embarking on a new record, and we all live, like, on the same block. Like, the whole band, like, pretty much lives on the same block. So we just, we can walk to each other's houses and write. And, um, we just went into this rehearsal space. We had about 40 or 50 songs. Oh, ideas. You know, like, ideas um and we just worked out that record but as you can tell with that record there's a lot of happiness like noise complaint and shining on yeah it was was just a very potent time to like be crashing on people's couches and your friends are are like spilling out of every window in alston you know what i mean you walk anywhere and it's just very artist and like the cover i mean the cover is is all of us hanging out at my buddy pod's house where i would crash at so it was a very happy time it almost seems like i don't know if it's just like a um you're capturing a moment of time and how it felt but it almost feels like the album has a message in in, in that sort of uplifting spirit of the the songs yeah i mean it really was like uh you know music a steady riot and my soul was steady riot and you know noise complaint again though all the things were happening you know what I mean? Like deadpans on it. I just met my hero, Yako, and wanted to write a song about her. You know what I mean? And then Todd, my buddy, had just, you know, like we all have the guys who become an alcoholic first and he just left, you know. And you know, it's a it was a very it's a very beautiful in your twenties time. Everyone's getting a girlfriend that they really love for the first time. You know what I mean? And you know, it's it's stuff like that. Like it's it's kinda like a family guy episode where he goes, Yeah. Peter goes, Yeah. You remember like going to the swimming hole with all your friends? You start to jog quicker because you can't wait to see them. And everyone's cheering your name. 
And you know, like it's just one of those, one of those moments in life. So you truly like you, you can think back to that time period when you wrote those songs that it just felt like a happy period of your life. Yeah, I mean, flute and stroll, I would say, was happier, <laughs> but this was more like that potent, yo, Todd, let's go to the bar and like, like just very. I don't know, like licking your canines 23. You know what I mean? Just like, rah, we're young. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, it was a silly time. Like, can, I collected cans from um, the house I lived in because everybody drank so much to, to bring them down to this local place to be able to get a sandwich for lunch. But that was my routine. You know what I mean? It was just weird stuff like that. You know, I, I like slept on couches and they had bed bugs and you got about five bites a night. <laughs> but But the recording, the recording was quite wonderful with um, Paul Coldry, Adam Taylor, um, Adam and uh, Alex Taylor, and Adam, Joe, and people caring about your music for the first time. Like you, you have an engineer, a producer and, and two like second engineers, um, you know, like Alex Hartman showed me who the equals was there, then the band, the equals, and you know, so we're going into a recording studio with, freaking guy from the boston you know what i mean it's <laughs> it's it's crazy you know i'm curious if you as an adult you know if you ever go back and listen to this record and if what it makes you feel like listening to it years later well i think that's a big part of records like if big d puts out a new record and or, or any band sorry if any band puts out a new record and the fans or the listeners i'm sorry go um you know, I don't like it. There's, you know, and there's something missing, right? You know, people need to understand that if something's missing from a new record, sometimes it's your memories. You know what I mean? Like hanging out with Chris, going to Tanya's house. You know what I mean? Like there's something missing in the songs and it's memories. And so if you don't give a new record for a band you love, the ample, the, you know, the chance to have memory, your memories, and you're, you're never going to, you're never going to like that record, you know? Um, so yeah, when I when I sip when I go back and listen to the Strictly Rude, I have cupboards of memories just blasting open. And you know, you can smell it, you can taste it. And so uh it's sometimes a lot, you know, some it's sometimes a lot to take in. You know, almost too much because you're like, "Oh, Jesus," you know, like going through an old photo album. I mean, when when I listen, I this could just be my own interpretation, but when I listen to Shining On, yeah. To me, that's like a song about choosing to be happy even though like even though maybe life it doesn't there's reason to not be happy yeah but that's like a, a decision not necessarily you know so that almost suggests to me not necessarily that life is grand but more like an attitude of choosing happiness in the face of struggle yeah that's, that's exactly it um you know all those things mentioned in the song you know happen I was actually talking about the wine smashing um, at a at my local uh, packy store just the other day because they were like, "Do you want me to double bag it?" And I was like, "You know, I once walked out of a wine store and it broke." You know, I was telling them the story. I didn't tell say anything about the song, but I was just telling them, like, "Yeah." That, that <laughs> um, and they were like, "Yeah, we'll double bag it." A lot of people applaud me a little bit for for being positive, right? Um, and I find that, you know, I find that very kind of the, for them to say, but I, also very worrisome that, you know, I, you know, I'm just like everybody else. I'm, I'm just worried how everybody else is doing. If I'm somehow this 
person who's really positive and and you know where my positivity comes from in 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 the working hard for a good moment kind of you were alluding to is two things one you know not to get into it but when the gulf war happened um my mom was really worried because she kind of just knew how dominoes fall and she was just really worried that it would turn into something where i at my age at the time would have to go to war so i just remember i just remember because i was in middle school so you have to keep an eye on those things and and so i was really lucky um you know if you think about world war one two and the korean war and the vietnam war, vietnam and the korean war you know uh, she had seen all her friends go to the Vietnam War. So I always look at myself as just very, 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 very lucky that I never had to go to war because at one point I thought maybe that would be something I would have to do. And whenever I watch movies like, you know, Saving Private Ryan, The Lot, you know, um, I'm just very, very happy. And I empath empathetically think about often you know, I'm not sitting with my hands on my stomach in mud, trying to hold my stomach together, wishing I was with my mom. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's kind of what so many people at my age at the time, that's, that's their story. And so, if historically, the fact that I didn't have to go to war is so grand that, yeah, I, I don't really let a lot of things bother me too much. I, I don't want to be a a little gossip that's moaning about this and that and the other thing. I'm not comfortable. Everything's not perfect. You know, I mean, you're, you're alive, you know? Um, so that's where that comes from. But then also I have to move rooms cause my computer might die. Um, then the other <laughs> thing is, you know, I've, I'm, I'm dyslexic. And so, you know, I've, I've had to work much, much, much harder in, school than people who have a natural ability so you know i i would have to work really hard for the for the b uh on the grade or you know stuff like that um so i i know what it's like to have to work really hard and and so yeah it's just been a just been a i just don't moan like people do yeah I mean, happiness, to some extent, is a decision. And I think that's something that is um, not broadcast in our culture. No. I mean, I, I know people have kept, of course, depression is, depression is a different thing. And I'm not, anybody listening, I'm not saying. For sure. You know, it's a chemical thing that you can't just snap off. But, but it also comes back to why I'm in ska, ska music. And that's, you know, when I was in high school, I, I told this in the Ska's and Annie story, but, um, you know, I was in my car and getting in my car and it was winter and I didn't want to go to school and it sucks and I'm sick of it. And, but then I put on the operation Ivy dubbed cassette I had and, and I would be happy. And I remember be, being so appreciative of that, that they could do that for me that I, I remember being really young and going, this is exactly what I'm going to do because I appreciate it. So yeah, I mean, you know, but I'm one of those people that literally can't believe that I can watch star Wars anytime I want. If I choose, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> There's so many amazing things. I'm I'm surprised people moan so much. So noise complaint though, that was probably your biggest song then. I don't know. I thought uh, it's hard. I I would have thought shining on. Okay. But that but I don't know. Well, between the two, we have the probably your most your biggest two songs. But 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 then I ask you this: Could LAX beat them? Like, is LAX more known? I don't know. I don't know the answer. 
We're going to have to find out. Yeah. So, but, okay, so you shot the, so the noise complaint and the Shining On video, did you shoot them at the same time? Because the Shining On is like sequel, I guess, <laughs> a video sequel. It was a weekend. Um, and that's, that's the side one dummy office that we're in. Okay. Um, but the, the funniest story about that is we shot the, sh- we shot like noise complaint. And so if, if anybody hasn't seen noise complaint, it's just like a big party. Yeah. It's like a big party. Yeah. And so after that, we go to a bar to kind of go like, Hey, we just shot a video and um, we're hanging out at the bar. And this guy starts talking to me. He's like, who are you guys? And I explain everything. And he goes, Oh, that sounds really awesome. Congratulations. about you know, the video. And I go, he goes, are you happy with it? I go, I am, but tomorrow we're shooting another video and I'm a little uh, disappointed. And he goes, why? I go, cause I wanted a red station wagon to be in the video. Now you have to understand. I've never seen a red station wagon. I didn't even know they came in red. Like usually they just come in that like, you know, wood siding kind of thing. And he goes, are you fucking with me? And I go, no. And he goes, someone told you. And I go, what? He goes, I have a red station wagon. And I go, you too? He goes, yeah, it's called Moose. You want to use it? You can use it tomorrow. I was like, yeah, sure. That's great. Isn't that crazy? That is. And so the (laughs) the beginning of Shining On, um, was that filmed? Cause it's, you guys are in this, right. You're in the same space and it's like, you're yeah. all like worn out from the partying basically. Yeah. Did you film that at the same time or did you begin that the next day? Uh, I think it was the next day. Dan, Dan okay. Doby, the direct. Yeah. We, I think we did all noise complaint and then did shining on the next day. It was just like Friday, Saturday, Dan Doby, the director who's brilliant. Um, whose brother was Rob Doby, um, the illustrator, uh, art guy. Um, he, he's just, he has that mentality, which I kind of have too, which is like, okay, we're going to do this, but what else? What else? We're going to do this, but what else? What else? What else? What else? If you're okay talking about it, I, I would, um, I'd like to ask you about, um, in 2011, you, uh, or you got thyroid cancer. Is that something you, um, don't mind talking about? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. How, so first off, how did you know, were you getting symptoms or was it just like a routine checkup? I got an interesting question. So, so we're going to Japan first time and i i was complaining about like like sore throats or something mm-hmm. and um my mom was like i didn't have health care because america's ridiculous and i was touring too much you know i didn't have like a job you know or i did but it would be like intermittently waiting tables or bartending which doesn't be healthcare. and so she's like you need to sign up for matt uh mass health which was t- at the time romney care um, in, in Massachusetts, and it, I was so excited about Japan that um, I was kind of just like, you know, I don't, don't, I wasn't really like getting the paperwork done right away. And she's like, "Look, do it," and I was like, "All right." And so I did it. And then I went to Japan and could barely sing, and I was like, wow. "Oh my god, this sucks!" This is the, I've been trying to get to Japan for so long, and now I'm here and I sound terrible. That's really a disappointment. Um, and then we go right to Europe and she goes, you can go to Europe, but we're going to get your test results done while you're on the tour. And if you have cancer, uh, you have to promise me you'll come home. And I was like, okay, because I didn't, obviously I don't have cancer. And so I, I went on the tour and we were like, oh, so it was my birthday and we were supposed to go to Paris, but we made a wrong turn. Like we messed up on the GPS. So instead of my birthday being in Paris, which I was very excited about, 
we were heading towards like Spain or Italy. I just forget. And um, we just, we were going to somewhere else. And uh, it was like, it's still my birthday and we're, we're, we're driving late in the night and uh, there's no alcohol on any of the rest stops. So I'm just kind of like sitting there in the dark in a van going, this sucks. And then I get to the, the hotel and my sister emails me and she goes, mom doesn't want to let you know, but you have cancer. <laughs> so wow. I was, like, I was like, oh, what a birthday. Uh, so how old were you? I don't know anymore. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure. Okay. I kind of, I kind of like, during that whole time, I didn't really retain information. I just kind of like went through the steps. You know what I mean? Sure. I was just kind of like, yeah, just tell me where to go. And, like, and people would be like, you know, I researched this. And did you know? And I'm like, I don't need to know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I was just like, it's going to work out or it's not going to work out. That's how I'm going to. That's how I'm. So you, you, you weren't like terrified um, when, when you got the news? Yeah. No, definitely. definitely. Um, I call it the darkness. Um, you feel like. <laughs> My friend, my friend Stu in Boston recently just died of cancer. And so um, there was a benefit show with Bane and the Bouncing Souls. And, and going to that show, I felt, I felt the darkness coming back. Like I, you can feel it. Like some people, you know, like death, like the, the figure of death. I think people invent that because that's what it feels like. Um, for me, it more feels like um, one of those things in Harry Potter that guards Azkaban, um, a Dementor. And it kind of feels like a Dementor, which is pretty much like death. And it's, and it's, it's very, it's very big feeling. And it's kind of like the, the sting of cold, but not the cold of cold. Like you feel it like silk come over your shoulders. Like it's back. Like he's, he's back. You know, when you, when you have to, when you, when you've had cancer and you have to deal with someone else having cancer, it's, it's like, it's like it's back. And so, yeah, lights out is, is very, is very sad. And so I didn't, I didn't want lights out. I wanted to live longer. And yeah. I was a very sad, uh, that there was a possibility that, you know, and then when you have had cancer, you know, I always feel, I'm always worried he's going to come back. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, but I, I have to say, I, I, I joke around that I had dri- drive through cancer. Like I had radiation, don't get me wrong, but I didn't have chemo. Did you, so did you guys catch it early? Is that what happened? We caught it uh, early enough. Like, so they took out all of my thyroid, they, not some of it. And when they take it out, there are these things called satellite cancers, like this little, and, and, and the cancer didn't go to my lymph nodes, which a lot of people know. So I was just, all the things, you know, like when doctors tell you, you want this and you don't want this, 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 this. We got the, you want this. You got the good prognosis. Yeah. So, I got, so you know, the radiation burned all the satellite cancers. Getting radiation is crazy. People can't be next to you more than like you know, three or five minutes. And everything you touch has to be destroyed. It's crazy. What? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Like, if you use bed sheets and like towels, like while you're taking radiation pills, um, they have to be destroyed. It's it's like the most X Men I've ever been. <laughs> how how long? Wait, what's? I, I'm sorry, I've never had to deal yeah, with this. Yeah. So, you know, but how long? What's the time period for that? Uh, I think it's like a, like maybe like a couple of days or a week while the pills are in you. What's really funny? Wow. Is, what's really funny is there's this huge pageantry to give you the pill. Um, like 
the doctor's dress and all this kind of like radiation here in the pill is in this kind of like, um, it kind of looks like the stones from um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, but they open up and they're steel. And then when you open the steel container, it's just a little pill. <laughs> and then the doctor has to bring, the doctor has to bring like a young doctor with them. Cause if you're a young doctor, you have to go through this procedure to get your check mark that you've done this. You know what I mean? Like an, in, like not an internship, but like a merit badge for doctors. Um, <laughs> and, and so you got this like intern and everyone's taking it really seriously. And you're sitting there like with your stupid band t-shirt on going, all right, guys, just give me the pill. <laughs> but it, it sucks. It's, it's, it's very scary. Um, and I really, what I'm left with is when I hear that people get cancer, um, even if it's a commercial, it's, it's, it's heavy because you feel very bad. Yeah. The, obviously, you know, you, you got the best result in that, you, you the, the cancer was t- taken care of, but um, how did, so you don't have a thyroid anymore? Is that the end result though? Yeah. So I have to take thyroid pills. And so that's kind of a bummer for me because, you know, a lot of my life, I like being living off the grid and I like not being part of society a hundred percent by touring. But now I need this pill so much that if like the zombie apocalypse comes, like I have to like bust into a pharmacy and like that's the first thing i have to do you know what i mean like i need these pills you know what i mean what what would happen if you didn't have pills it's kind of like powering down you just start powering down wow Wow. yeah um so like if i forget to take one i'm like what's going on you know like you have no energy yeah kind of thing yeah okay but like but like a weird hollowness it's not even like being tired it's like it's like this weird hollow, your body feels hollow. But, and that's what really disgusts me about some practices in America in, in that, like, you know, I can't get these, you know, with our healthcare system, it's like, it's ridiculous. It's like, they don't even care. You know, I had to fight so long just to get more than six pills out of seven pills at a time. You know what I mean? Like maybe the system is just so stupid. You know, it's like, dude, I need yeah, that. Definitely. <laughs> I need that yeah. very much. And 20 bucks says the people writing the laws like think they believe in God. Well, we'll circle back. We'll talk about the new album a little bit. Yeah. So it seems to me like the new album has, well, it has a lot of material on it and it feels like it has, it goes in a lot of different directions, uh, both stylistically and just the, the tone of the songs. I don't know if you have, uh, if it's too soon to have any perspective on it, but do you have any thoughts on, like we talked about the sort of the, what strictly rude, where, where where it was coming from and what it kind of signified, but do you have any thoughts about this new record in that same yeah. in that same sense? Well, absolutely. Like, well, Big D's never been a band that wants to or could write an album that pretty much all the sounds sound the same. You know what I mean? Like the album is one song, and I'm not saying I don't like albums like that. I love albums like that, like the Ramones. You know, if you want to put the Ramones on, it's, it's the Ramones. You know. And Andrew W.K.'s first record, Party Hard. Party Hard. You know what I mean? The whole thing. You know what I mean? But we really try to, um, you know, spark um, creativity in all of us. Like, you know, I don't want to be like, I wrote all the songs. You know what I mean? Like, that's not fun for me. Like, you know, like, 
Dan, our old trumpet player, who's like not a songwriter, we're like, Dan, write a song. You can do it. Just, you know, like we, we try to encourage each other to write songs so that we're all writing songs together. You know what I mean? So when you do that, often the songs sound different. You know what I mean? You don't just have one person churning out sausages. And so, um, so again, a lot of our songs are different, but I decided to kind of add two things that I wanted to add. One is those sample tracks. Um, there's about four of them. And I've always just been into that. You know, I grew up on the Beastie Boys, and, you know, uh, uh, the Dust Brothers and all that stuff, DJ Shadow and DJ Crush and stuff. So that's a huge part of, of what I love in music. And so I like, I like films. I like Quentin Tarantino. So I, I watch a lot of what he is inspired by, like old B movies from the 60s and stuff. And so a good Saturday night for me is, is watching old weird movies and trying to find c hilarious dialogue. You know what I mean? It, it, it's just fun for me. It's, I've always done it my whole life. And um, so those tracks are fun, and, but they have a reason. They clean the ear palette, if you will. I know there's not a palette in here, but they clean the ear palette from one song to the other. You can't really go from New Day to You Buggin'. You need, you need something in the middle to kind of, you know, uh, reset you. Um, and then I really like these short songs because, you know, everyone's such a smarty pants these days that, you know, like how many three minute, if someone's going to go on your Spotify channel, it's like, how many three minute songs are they going to watch? I mean, listen to, um, you know, like the short songs are to have fun and break up if someone's on a good car trip listening to Spotify, you know? Where did you pull the samples from? Give us some examples. Oh, She Devils on Wheels, um, Just for the Hell of It. These are movie titles. Um, uh, my favorite one is the, I got it from Something Weird video, which is a the owner yes, of something yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah, you know, so yeah, it's like the best best site ever. Um, the, the my favorite is um, Blast Off Girls. That's one. Um, is a recording of this guy who talks to you in between movies at a drive-in. You know what I mean? He's like, okay, you know. Next, we have teenagers from outer space who bring a giant lobster to Earth. That sounds good. And next week, we got this one with the scientist with a huge lab system. You know, he's just, he's like, don't forget to put your speakers back. We do have your candy bars and hot dogs. You know, he's just such a, such a jolly great guy. I mean, I've never laughed as loud by myself than to this man talking. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, just, just movies like that. So eight years ago, your last album of original music, I mean, a lot's happened in the last eight years, both, you know, I'm sure personally and, and like politically and socially. Um, where, where, where were you at when you were writing these songs more, I guess, more from a emotional slash, you know, what you, what you felt you wanted to communicate point of view? That's a great question. Well, what's interesting is, um, you know, during the Trump years, I, you know, I'd already gone through the Bush years um, and I knew I knew one thing. I didn't want to write anything about Trump because I didn't want his ass stain on any of my records. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we have that one song, President, and it's about Bush. Even though I like the song, I know the image of that guy's face is, is, is a part of that song for me. You know what I mean? So I, I didn't, I don't want to look at Trump's face. I don't want Trump to have anything to do with Big D. You know what I mean? Um, I just, they can be separate subjects. 
And the other thing that I noticed for me, I'm not saying other people because, you know, Suicide Machines wrote some kick, kick-ass political songs on their last record. But for me, you know, I'd been suckered into a couple online arguments, you know what I mean? Thus you bugging. And um, I almost feel like, you know, I didn't want to write another, you know what I think is wrong, when everybody who's not even in a band is writing what is wrong. You know what I mean? Like the punk rock, the punk rock message can start sounding like a, a Facebook comment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I didn't want any of our punk rock sounds to sound like a Facebook comment. You know what I mean? And so, but I still love punk rock. So I had to kind of like back up and be like, well, shit, you know? And so I just went back to the dead milkman and, you know, and, and just their, their mindset. And, um, you know, there's this movie I mentioned before, like Revenge of the Nerds and Revenge of the Nerds 2. And the nerds have a band in Revenge of the Nerds 2. And they don't sound anything like, like metal in the microwave from, from the record. But I almost feel like they could have written metal in the microwave, you know what I mean? In some like fantasy comic. Um, so what I'm getting at is like, I still wanted to play punk rock music, but I didn't want to talk about him. I didn't want to talk about the situation, probably because it was upsetting me so much. Um, so I, I, I tried to make our punk songs fun because I thought that would be better for people and for myself. I want to ask about Scully Beanuts of the East Coast Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I recently let me ask you something. Yes. <laughs> I have Porch Life prepped for spot to to for Spotify. You know what I mean? And I'm just not pressing the button. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I don't know. It's like I think I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it after this record comes out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it on there because the public deserves it. We all deserve it. But I just didn't want like, man, when a hater, we don't have, Figgy doesn't have many haters, but when they, but, I mean, you know, like those people who go after you. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, I just don't want any friggin' trouble. What about Drexel? Oh God, he's great. So every year I try to get Drexel to reunite. Uh-huh. Um, and right before lockdown, I pretty much did it the first time. I got it. Um, Creek Johnson, Aaron Sinclair, uh, said yes. And we got an offer from the, the Sinclair, which is funny. And um, it was all about to happen, and they canceled. Yeah, yeah. So I think that was. I do it every year. I try really hard. I love those guys. I pretty much stopped playing drums, um, professional, professional, um, because <laughs> because Mark and Aaron are like my guitar players, like. Yeah. challenge me and like i just don't want to play if, it, if i'm not going to be playing at that It'd just be boring and so uh and so i almost had it and uh, it would have been so good so fun what do you call the punk beat oh oh the, like the like do that do that do that do that what do you call that i just call the punk beat. yeah okay yeah the yeah the, the boots and cats and stuff yeah boots and cats yeah, boots yeah, and cat. yeah. um but you know after Drexel um, canceled that glorious, wonderful reunion show, um, that's when I quickly said to Todd, the bass player, we got to do the Cuidado project because I was so in drum. I got my chops back up. I was like ready. Mm. And so that's 
one of the reasons why Cuidado, a side project that I did with Todd, happened. Cause, nice. Because we were all excited for the Drexel thing. You had to had to use those chops somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And 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 just to say one more thing about Cuidado is like Adam Yelp of the BC Boys MCA died, and Mark Sandman of Morphine had died quite a long time before. And so, like I was saying earlier, like sometimes I get worried that wonderful artists with really great sounds are going to get forgotten. So, mm. you know, MT had a really signature bass sound. So we, we wanted to make that part of Cuidado as an homage. And then we only have Barry and bass sax um, as an homage to Mark Sandman. And Dana Colley, who plays Morphine, actually played the bass sax in the Morphine record, which was like, you know, the coolest thing. Yeah, that's rad. Yeah. And Cuidado's getting put out by, um, there's a, it's getting put out in China. We have a record, but it never got put out by anybody because we're not pretty enough. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's going to be released in China and a split in the U.S. So speaking of labels, Fork in Hand, is that still a thing? Uh, it's it's not. What 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 happened to Fork in Hand was we were, we were doing really great, Steve Foot and I, and it you know we just we never took money for it. We just always put it in the artists, of course, and, and so we just kind of used profits to put out more records but what happened was we signed like whatever the two or three bands with the last bands were we signed they all uh after their record came out they all they all quit they all broke up like as the record came out yeah like some of them like knew they were gonna do that like we just wanted to yeah so the artists the last artists destroyed the record or the label but not the stray bullets the stray bullets was i would say the the last like real awesome work. Yeah. It was, it was too bad. Yeah, definitely. We killing it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you notice the fork in hand, two fork in hand posters in the, uh, too much video? They're in there. No, oh. I'll have to keep an eye out for those. Yeah. Yeah. They're in there. Uh, at the end. Yeah. I was like, get a load of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still got these posters. <laughs> Okay, so you covered Ska Sucks in 2016, I believe? Yeah, that was a joy. Now, had had you had that been a part of your life set, or was that just a... Did you just decide to do it? Just love the song. Love that record. Yeah, so what did you... What was your take on the song when it was released? Uh, definitely, at first, I was, like, confused. Like, so did they like Ska? You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely didn't understand, um, but I, but I didn't really care to understand because, because I, I kind of knew that you know punk, punk is brash and sarcastic and, you know, trying to egg you on. So, um, what led you to uh, record a cover of it in 2016? Kind of just like how cool the song was, and and I and I, I kind of it'd be nice. It was too you know cool the song was kind of fun idea to put a, a real message to Rudy in it. Yeah. You know, yeah. And poke back at, at, in jest. You know what I mean? Like the last verse I rewrote and I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Could you, could you, um, could you, you know, the lyrics off the top of your head for the last I verse? Do, I do think it goes, uh, Scott sucks. I only own propagandis old stuff. Fat records fans go ching, 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 Mike has never fucking liked our style. 
<laughs> it's so fun amazing i know yeah I, I, you say this joke out to the world and it's crickets and you're like it's fun <laughs> so is it is it true is it true though does mike does fat mike not like your stuff well i've sent i've sent fat records every single release we've done since like 96 you know Okay. I even, took, I even took like this Drex, this bear, and stuck Drexel CDs up his butt, and put like, <laughs> of course they didn't like it, but put blood <laughs> all over it and stuff. And like, like I've tried all these different ways of doing it. You know what I mean? Um, but the only time I've ever seen Fat Mike side stage is when we were playing a flute and stroll show, and like, you know, I don't know Fat Mike well, uh, um, and and so it's like. If he ever was gonna like Big D, it wouldn't have been then. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you know what I mean? It would have been in some other time. But you know, it's just one of those. Big D has always had a very big had has always had trouble getting a date to the prom. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, and it's not being part of the cool crowd. Not no one ever patting you on the back and going like, "I see you." You know what I mean? Um, and so it's it's just turned into a funny thing you know what i mean like yeah, he, yeah. But, but 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 that but like he shouldn't i'm not saying like you know he sh- he's his own person we're just making a joke we're in no way are we like you should like us do you know what i mean like we're not saying that at all do you know what i mean right we're just saying like you know i asked heather out three times and she said no each time nah you know what i mean like doesn't think i'm pretty he's just fat, fat mike <laughs> is just not that into you yeah, he's just, he's just not as cup of tea, which is which is fine. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's fine as you as you bite your nails down. It's fine. It's no big deal. <laughs> not like I'm empty from all those bands that are doing all those fun things. It's fine. Well, it's like punk rock bowling. Like we're we're not invited. It's like can can we, can we go? <laughs> you know, it's like we're we're not that bad. We'll tune up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tune up. I, I t- I've told a story about you a bunch of times, Dave, to people where we played a show together and you like jumped up. There were these girls looking through this window and you like jumped up and put your ass against the window and broke and broke the window. Yeah. Pearl Street, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I cut my finger on the way down. I remember that. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you still have a scar from that? Uh, I don't think so, but I remember like the whole thing being fine and then like, like, yeah, it was fun. And then while I was like pushed down, cutting my finger open, which I don't care about, but being like, ah, shit, you did it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember because they were like, well, that's always weird when you're doing something. And then like people walking by are like, oh, look at those fun people. I was like, get out of here, ladies. <laughs> 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 Big D got in our first uh, brawl, uh, 12-minute brawl outside Pearl Street. Wow, how how that go? We we were we were we ended a show, uh, ended a tour, and and it was a, we just wanted to go home. So the show was over. We just wanted to go home. We were really excited, and I was making a joke like I got in my like sleep clothes, aka pajamas, and mm-hmm. I was saying to the man like I'm just gonna wear my pajamas now because we're gonna get home at like four forty five. So it's like I'll be ready for bed, you know. So I'm like we're just joking around, <clears throat> and then like a group of like six or six people kids people young adult dudes started just like they wouldn't let us not fight them 
Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, it was, we just kept saying, no, oh, no, guys. And it was just because of, like, they didn't like our style of ska. They, yeah. I mean, they were still people who liked ska. Like, we probably owned the same freaking records. You know what I mean? And um, and so we, we really were just like, no, no, no. The whole time we were like, no, 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 no. And then they started sucker punching and headbutting and blowing out lips and noses. So we just, we took, we did, we did a great job. Um, it, it, but it lasted a long time. It lasted like 10 or 12 minutes, which is a very long time for a fight. And people yeah. were thrown into cars, people, people were thrown into windows, like where people were dining and it just wouldn't stop. And then, and then, and then, um, the cops came and the, the guys ran off and, you know, as cops go, you know, we're all in trouble. And, I, and I, my quote was like, officer, look at me. I'm in my pajamas. I'm trying to go home. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to fight these kids. But um, it was just unfortunate. But uh, I, I just mentioned it because it was at Pearl Street and it, and it lasted for so long. I, I just never been part of a fight that was like, ugh. Yeah, usually it's like 30, 30 seconds and it's yeah. done. Yeah, it was like a John Wick film. We're like, it kept going. <laughs> It was nothing like a John. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the show wherever you normally download podcasts. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at Ska. You can also sign up for my newsletter at aaroncarns.substack.com. You will get the podcast sent directly to your inbox every Wednesday. Indefensive Ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has a great band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And on that note, we leave you by saying Ska now more than ever. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.